This is Trinity Sunday. It is the only Sunday in the church year that is dedicated to a doctrine and not an event in the life of Jesus. And I say this over and over again, we probably overdo it, but it is perhaps the most vexatious Sunday to preach on in the whole of the 52 weeks. Trinity Sunday. <laughs> That's a good plan, but I already have something prepared, so we'll see. Um, I hadn't intended to preach on Genesis, but after hearing it read this morning, I want to say a couple of things uh, about it because it's important. Uh, within the last year or so, there is a book that has been written by um, a professor at Wheaton College, no hotbed of wild-eyed liberalism, <laughs> on uh, the first chapter of Genesis, on the creation story, or the first one. There are two creation stories in the book of Genesis. His name is John Walton. And in the book, he says something very important at the beginning that we need to remind ourselves all the time about the whole of the Bible. But he said, you know, the Bible was not written to us. The Bible was written for us, but it was written to an ancient people in a different language than we speak and in a different cultural milieu. Now, this is important because we don't want to say something else uh, also about science and religion. When we use the term worldview, a worldview is not something you see. A worldview is what you look through like your glasses. That's your worldview. And so the Bible is replete with examples of, in say, Paul, for example, who uh, was wearing spectacles and he had a conversion experience and his glasses got stepped on and now he's got to completely reconstruct what it is that he sees. He has to completely reconstruct his worldview. How do I put this together having been a Pharisee, a persecutor of Christians? How do I put that together with my vision of the risen Christ? And how do I understand how these dots all connect if they do at all? So the story of the creation in chapter 1 of Genesis is not a scientific text. It is not a scientific textbook. It is talking about something else. And what it's talking about is the construction of a temple. And in Hebrew the language that it was written in originally, you clearly get it when you read it about what it's talking about. The cosmos, the world, is constructed to be God's dwelling place. And so the result of that is that God is present here with us, but we also have part of the responsibility to exercise stewardship over the temple and the creation. 
So we have six days of creation that are in a very sophisticated way described in terms of the way in which this is put together. And on the seventh day, God rests. Well, in that worldview, where does God rest? God rests in the temple. So we're here with God. That's certainly what the Hebrews thought when they wrote the account. Some people think it was written, you know, at the time of Moses. I would guess the reigning scholarly view is that Genesis and the Pentateuch, for that matter, the first five books of the Old Testament, were written about 580 BCE. And they were written during the Babylonian captivity when their narrative about how things came to be and what their responsibilities were can now be communicated to their children and people who follow them. So that we have some idea of what these sacred stories are about and what kind of a world we're dwelling in. And so this is a story about we having a part to play in the stewardship of the cosmos. One of the great mistakes that has been made in Christianity for a long, long time is to read these texts as though human beings were given dominion over the creation. That means cut the trees down, do what you want to do, do treat any living thing the way you want because you have been given dominion. What you've been given was the privilege to call them into being by giving them names. And so we understand now that when we name things, we have some kind of uh, care, custody, and control over this. This is true, by the way, with your emotional life. If you feel out of sorts and you don't know what's going on and you have to sit quietly and say, what in the world is going on with me? And then you begin to get names for what it is that's going on with you. You can call it something. And when you do that, you get some idea of what it is that's eating you. What spirits are you in? I don't know if you were a kid, my parents, my grandparents and parents, they'd always say, hey, Hi, Grandma, what's going on? Well, you know, I'm not in very good spirits today. Right? Friends, that is the spiritual life. It isn't some special thing. It's life. So when you read these accounts, think about what it's about. The language of the temple. How we use the creation in a way that is holy and acceptable to God and allows for our own flourishing as a people. All of those things are possible. In the Bible, the Trinity or the doctrine of the Trinity is not explicitly mentioned uh, as a fully formed doctrine. In the, in the program, I have a blurb in there by uh, Cynthia Black about the Trinity. And uh, she says in there that it is uh, something that developed over time. So probably the doctrine of the Trinity as we have it now came to its full-orbed uh, creation in about the 4th century, in the 300s, because the church was struggling with how to explain God and Jesus and the Spirit. 
because they believed that if God were walking around on the earth, this is who he'd be like, Jesus. And somehow Jesus was animated by something that they called the Spirit. And the Spirit, in some way, provides us with the opportunity to say, you know what, it's not something that was his private preserve. We received it when he ascended into heaven and gave it to the church as the Holy Spirit so that we become the custodians and the fiduciaries of the Holy Spirit of God. This is how uh, they began to understand that. I was talking at 9 o'clock about something that uh, this issue was raised for me. I've been reading a lot of C.S. Lewis uh, recently again, and one of his friends in the Inklings was a guy named Owen Barfield. And he wrote a book called Saving Appearances. He wasn't a real believer. He was a scientist of some kind who didn't uh, really. But he used to talk about something that I think is a constant uh, difficulty for all of us. It certainly is for me. And he referred to it as chronological snobbery. <laughs> so I go online to Amazon. And I want to read something by some author on my typically obscure interests. And so I look at the front matter of the book, and it says, uh, published 1959. So I say to myself automatically, reflexively, no, I want to read the one he wrote in 2006 because it must be the more recent skinny on whatever this is, right? And usually, if you resist that temptation, you will discover that the one in 1959 is very useful and important to read before 2006, and 2006 may be, have been just a fillip on what it was that he wrote in 1959. So we need to be careful about that whole idea of chronological snobbery. So when you hear somebody say to you, well, the doctrine of the Trinity is late, well, yes, comparatively in some ways. But it is not completely absent from the biblical text. And we read two readings this, in this cycle today, one from Paul, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Go therefore into the world, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in Matthew, at the conclusion of that gospel. And there's one we didn't read in the book of the prophet Isaiah. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Does that sound familiar? We say it every Sunday at the Mass, at the Sanctus. And it's lifted right out. In fact, actually, what happened in the Christian liturgy was they lifted it right out of the synagogue liturgy. Because that was used in the synagogue all the time. So there are some implicit Trinitarian ways of understanding things in the b biblical text. But here's what Christians were struggling with. They began to say, this is how we're experiencing Jesus, both as a community, or God as Trinity, and we're also beginning to understand that our own self has a Trinitarian aspect. We have, we used to say in the old catechism, a memory, a reason, and a will. 
This is the way we understand how we're put together and what it is that we uh, understand ourselves to be as human beings. And the starting place, of course, that we have is that the Bible tells us that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And if God constitutes three persons, by the way, the word person in uh, 300 AD did not mean what it means today. It meant something else. Maybe one of the ways that we can explain it or describe it is in Greek theater. Have you ever seen on, in theaters those masks that they put, you know, smile, sad, neutral? So one person wears three masks. It's the same person. Prosopon in Greek. So that's one way. Father Emerson said to me earlier today, which is true when we were in seminary, that um, if you tried to cook up a way to explain the doctrine of the Trinity and you'd write a paper on it, almost, almost every time the professor told you that you had committed a heinous heresy. So you could never get it right, you know. And that's why we have to say something about what the Trinity means in the church's life, in its spiritual life. The Trinity was understood as God's internal relationship of love. And one of the things the church needs to do better with is to practice hospitality. And it was always understood that the interior life of the Trinity was in some way a harmonious, loving relationship between one and three in some ways. So there's an icon, famous icon, in Eastern Orthodox Christianity of the Holy Trinity. And the icon are three people, or persons, sitting in a room at a table together, uh, drinking wine together in a community, in a fellowship. So the Greek text would call it koinonia, fellowship or communion, which is one of the ways in which we understand how things get along. And the church at its best has always understood that as central to, their com to our common life. Some species of fellowship, some species of communion, so it's a wonderful thing that in the church's great tradition, every Sunday, we receive communion. We now have dwelling in us God as Trinity in the person of Jesus Christ and the most holy sacrament of the altar. And in that way, we understand something about what it means to understand that kind of fellowship, giving us the internal stamina and strength to be able to face the opportunities and the challenges in front of us on a daily basis. But that's how we might understand that. God as um, creating, redeeming, and sanctifying. One of the most important things about this is to say something that uh, Alan Jones said in his book, uh, Common Prayer on Common Ground, A Vision of Ang Anglican Orthodoxy. He says... The holy and undivided trinity tells us that God is with us, God loves us, and God calls us without exception into communion. And once we know that, it provides us with the opportunity to uh, maybe uh, 
convert ourselves a little bit more than we had before. In the Episcopal Church, in most Episcopal churches, certainly this one, uh, our interest is in belonging before believing. We don't believe here that you need to have, get a form at the door and says, check these boxes. If you're able to check these boxes, you're in. If you can't check these boxes, you're not in. And my experience as a pastor over many years is that most people can't check the boxes. There may be some boxes they're never going to check. But the fact is, is that as they come to know more deeply and more fully God's presence in them and in the community of faith, they don't become less orthodox. They become more orthodox in their understanding of the deep things of Christian faith and belief. That that is something that seems to happen because of the work of the Spirit of God and why that's an important thing. So, give thanks for your Trinitarian selves. Uh, think this week if you're able to uh, identify anything in your interior life that would give you some idea of what it means to have a Trinitarian character. And you know, when you go through this process, uh, the end of today's gospel uh, is important, where the Savior says, Remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Amen.